exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Welcome to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dave Rinku. I will be your host as usual for the next hour here. And the person coughing to my left is my lovely co-host, <laughs> Megan. Megan, how you doing? Other than the cough, I'm good. <laughs> That's great. Have a nice uh, Easter uh, weekend. Yeah, it was busy. I was always doing things. I was working all day Saturday. I was, you know, Sunday I was at the Tigers game, and then my mom made dinner, and then Friday I was getting my car fixed. It was just everywhere today. And it's already Monday again, yes. April 9th. It is, but there's not much left to school. So No, not too much at all, but a lot of baseball left, and uh, that's definitely something we're going to be talking a lot about. The Tigers have their opening series of the regular season here against the Boston Red Sox at Comerica Park here this past weekend. We're going to get into that three-game series, discuss each game a little bit, and what we like the best about the Tigers, and what we feel like could use some work at this point, even though we're only three games in. We'll also be talking about the Detroit Red Wings. Detroit Red Wings starting off their 21st consecutive playoff appearance on the road this season as the number five seed against the Nashville Predators. That game will, uh, that series will kick off on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. So we're going to get into that series and how we think the Red Wings are going to fare here against a very tough Nashville Predator team. We'll also be getting into a little bit of just the other news around the baseball baseball world, some of the other matchups here in the NHL, in the Eastern and Western Conference. We also have a lot to talk about regarding Derek Nix. Uh, Derek Nix was arrested last week for marijuana possession and driving under the influence of marijuana. So we're going to talk about that and whether he's going to be on this team next season. Still no no word from Tom Izzo or Mark Hollis on whether he will be back with us. So we're going to get into that as well as the Detroit Lions. I know we talked about it last week, but yet again, another member of the 2011 draft class being arrested for marijuana possession. That's three guys now in four months from the Detroit Lions 2011 draft class that have been arrested for that. We're going to get into that and whether that's a big deal or not. Bubba Watson wins the Masters. The Pistons are 21-35, and 35, so take that as you may. But uh, don't forget the phone number, 517-432-3893 is the number. Give us a call, all show, and let us know what you think. And first question for our listeners, what did you think of the Tigers this weekend? I know they swept the Boston Red Sox. 3-0 and to start the season, two walk-off wins for the Detroit Tigers. A very, very exciting series. Tons of offense for Detroit. What did you like best and what worries you a little bit? 517-432-3893 is the number. And we're going to start with the game that took place here. Opening day game Thursday night against the Boston Red Sox. And, uh, well, actually, it wasn't the night game. It was actually a day game. Mm -hmm. But I digress. Okay, we'll get to this game. And the game was really a pitching battle. John Lester versus Justin Verlander on the mound. And two pitchers really going at it. This game was not, uh, it was a tie game for most of this, um, for a 0-0 for most of this game until Detroit broke it open in the seventh inning by scoring one run. That's how they broke it open. This is how much of a pitching duel it was in this opening game. Justin Verlander ends up going eight innings, only gives up two hits, no earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts, a very Justin Verlander-like start. He did an amazing job out there on the mound, 105 pitches, and then big Papa Grande comes in in the ninth inning, in the ninth inning just trying to maintain a lead. Not a big lead, but enough of a lead. That's all we needed. We were up three to nothing at uh, we were up two nothing at this point. Valverde uh, comes in, and again, this man had not blown a save all of last season, even going into the previous season, hadn't blown a save. But Valverde really gets lit up for two earned runs, gives up three hits total, only has one strikeout, 22 pitches to get out of that ninth inning. Austin Jackson hitting a triple in the bottom of the ninth. He give the Tigers the go ahead three two walk off win. What did you think of the decision? to not have Justin Verlander come back in and pitch tonight. Because the Tigers won this game. Again, it was a great pitching duel. I think we saw that throughout most of this game. Do you agree with Leland's choice or do you disagree with it? I don't think it was a bad choice. Okay. Uh, the only thing, you know, all last year I even think I said this, is he makes me nervous. He always has. The way he pitches, he likes to make things interesting. And he made it really interesting that, that day. But 
I don't think it was a terrible choice. Um, I mean, like you said, he didn't blow a save. Maybe that's what Leland was expecting. You know, he wasn't going to screw up, and he screwed up. Um, I mean, after, you know, the situation, I would have said, obviously I'm saying, why didn't you leave him in for the ninth? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it bothered Justin Verlander. I don't know if they even asked. I don't even think it I don't really think, bothered him. I don't bothered think it bothered him. him at all. I mean, Valverde's a closer. It's it's what he does. And if I think he was fine with the decision. I mean, we were winning. We were doing fine. He set him up for a, like, for a, a win or whatever, and he set himself up, and then... It's got blown. So I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally against it. Obviously, I'm like, whoa, the heck? Why didn't he get it? You know that uh-huh. kind of thing at the time. But other than that, no, I don't think it was a bad decision. I, I don't think it was either. I, I understand Valverde has a bad record against David Ortiz, and he was the five guy coming up to start at the bottom, of, uh, top of the ninth for the Boston Red Sox. But this is the first game of the season for Justin Verlander. Leland's whole thing was to limit Verlander to around a hundred pitches. For his first start of the year was around 100. He ended at 105 after the eighth inning. Again, you said it. Valverde is our closer. Uh-huh. You need to be able to count on your closer to go out there and get the job done. In hindsight, it's easy to say, why didn't we leave Justin Verlander out there to have a complete game? The guy's a workhorse. He can throw 130 pitches. He'll be fine. But at the same time, this is the first game of the season. And even for Justin Verlander, pitch count matters. It still does matter. Oh, yeah. It's the opening game of the season. And Jose Valverde, his job is the closer to go out there and get it done. Valverde still gets the win with the nice walk-off there by uh, Austin Jackson in the bottom of the ninth, his triple. When all is said and done, though, I don't disagree at this point with Leland. I really don't at all. I think for the Mm -hmm. opening game of a series of the season, to have Verlander go out after eight, that was fine. He was at 105. If he was a little lower, this guy was maybe around 94 pitches, 93 pitches. Yeah, you send him out there to close the game down in the ninth. But what are you going to do? Send him out there in the ninth, he gets into trouble, He's up to 115, 117 pitches, and then you still have to put Valverde in anyway. Mm -hmm. So I really have no problem with it. I know some people were complaining about this. If anything, I would say maybe just Justin goes out there to strike out Ortiz and then bring Valverde in to get the rest of the two outs. Right. Because really, a lot of the time, I don't always agree with Jim Leland. He's made decisions in the past that I really question, especially in regard to, you know, pitching replacements and even defensive replacements at times. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this, I think Leland was on point, and you're not going to expect Valverde to go out there and just absolutely get destroyed getting those final three outs, especially with what we saw from the guy all of last year and even the season before. He gets you nervous, but there aren't too many closers in this league that don't have you a little bit nervous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just He always has. I don't know what it is about him. I, I Last year, I just remember sitting here going, what is he doing? Is he trying to make this interesting? Like, just close the game. Get it over with. You're just making me freak out right now. <laughs> Gonna lose it. Yeah, I know. He's I'm... not as bad as Todd Jones. Todd Jones, he'd have me terrified. Him and his mustache. Every time he went out there <laughs> to the mound. Mustache. Every time. I would be more worried with Todd Jones on the mound than Valverde. But <laughs> nonetheless, Tigers get a nice 3-2 walk-off victory to open the season up. Largest opening day crowd ever at Comerica Park. Over 45,000 people showing up there. Uh, great sight to see. Fantastic. The new scoreboard looked beautiful out there. Oh, that thing is huge. I, I saw it, it Sunday. You, yeah, so you saw it live. Yeah. Just explain live, because on TV, you can get an idea, but it's not even close to the same. The thing is gigantic. It's nice, too. It's really cool, because if you remember the scoreboard from last year, it oh, had, yeah. had the replay... Uh, screen then underneath it it have like the score the you know box score pretty yep. much the inning by inning score but now it's all on the same tv and it, like my friend he's like oh it's like an hd tv i'm like that is not an hd tv that's like an hdd tv <laughs> like it's gigantic and it's clear quality and it's it's really really nice you, it's a lot wider uh-huh. like um i mean obviously the ads take up a little bit of room but like it's not as skinny as it used to be it's a lot like further that's out what on it both seems sides. like yeah i mean it's triple the size of the previous it's one. gigantic and then it's so funny because we were talking about how they put the the tigers back on the top yeah. those things are big too those things are huge and it's funny you mentioned those tigers because while I was watching one of the ball games when they were talking about those Tigers, because they had to remove them, obviously, yeah. to put the new scoreboard on. And when those Tigers were originally placed up there, they weighed 2,500 tons. When they were removed from the top there to get refurbished, to get all done, they weighed 9,000 tons due to just taking in water pretty much throughout the last <laughs> however many years. Basically, since you know, Comerica opened, they've had right. that scoreboard. And I just thought it was such a crazy discrepancy from 2,500 tons to 9,000 tons just due to soaking in the atmosphere of everything, the rain and everything that was going on for the last 10 years, basically, of this park. (laughs) 
I just thought that was real interesting. That is interesting. You know, and good thing that they try to build those things to standard because if you got to think those engineers, if you don't get that weight cut, I don't think they're assuming that these tigers are going <laughs> to absorb all this weight. Right. But um, if we're going to the second game here real fast, the game on Saturday, Tigers had a day off on Friday, played their second game on Saturday, Josh Beckett versus Doug Fister. Uh, again, looking to be a pretty decent pitching duel at the, you know, from the start. But really, it became a duel of the bullpens. And the Tigers' bullpen won out in this duel. Doug Fister had to go out after three and two-thirds of an inning with a strain in his rib. Uh, basically, not you know being able to turn and move as efficiently as he needs to. He said he felt it felt awkward. They took Doug Fister out. Belo came in and pitched two and a third. Dotel came in. Phil Coke pitched two-thirds of an inning. And Benoit came in to close the game out. So really, when you look at this game, an offensive juggernaut-type performance from the Detroit Tigers. Two home runs from Prince Fielder, two home runs from Miguel Cabrera, a home run from Alex Avila, five homers in one game, and they shut out the Boston Red Sox 10 to nothing in an absolute beatdown. Really everything clicking, especially for Cabrera and Fielder in this game. What would you think of Game 2's performance? I actually missed part of this game. Um, I was working, but I did catch glimpses. It was funny. I'd look down, 7 nothing. I look back up, it's 10 to nothing. Yep. Like, when did this happen? Um, from what I saw, though, it was just their offense was just crazy. It was off the wall. Yeah, 12 solid hits. Just really getting it done. Cabrera having two hits. Of course, Delman having two hits. Fielder having two hits. Uh, Bosch struggling. But really, some of the main guys, again, Avila, Delman Young, Prince Fielder, Cabrera, and even Jackson, he got a hit in there and had a great game one as well. Jackson having three hits in the first game mm-hmm. and on opening day. Uh, really, the offense clicking on all cylinders. And really, what I was most impressed with was the bullpen in this game. Duck Fister going out early, only three and two-thirds pitched. And then Belo comes in for a solid 29 pitches, Dotel 22. And we hadn't seen a lot of Dotel other than a little in spring training. Mm-hmm. Your boy Phil Coke uh, coming in, only giving up one walk in two-thirds. Two strikeouts as well, though. And then Benoit doing a great job mm-hmm. and uh, coming in there. Dwayne Belo getting the win in game two. Funny that Dwayne Belo has more wins than any other pitcher in the American League right now. Really? He's got two wins. Belo. Belo got a win yesterday for coming in uh, yep. after the whole melee of the bullpen yesterday with everyone being knocked around. Belo has two wins now for the Detroit Tigers, leading not just only the Tigers again, but the American League in wins for a pitcher. But moving to the game that I think more or less all of us probably saw, it was Easter Sunday. Who didn't have this Tigers game on at this point? It was seemed to be on all day. It was on from 105 until... Almost 6 o'clock, the game ended at really like 5.45 Eastern time. Mm-hmm. In a game that was back and forth, the Detroit Tigers getting out to a very early lead, 4 nothing. Boston coming back there in the second, making it 4-2, to two, scoring five runs in the third, really lighting up Scherzer in the third inning to go ahead 7-5 to five in the third inning. Scherzer getting pulled after only two and two-thirds inning, giving up eight hits, seven, seven earned runs, two walks, and only three strikeouts on 80 pitches. And not to mention Buckholes as well, Clay Buckholes for the Boston Red Sox, only going four innings, giving up seven earned as well. Both of these starting pitchers really getting muscled around. It didn't get any better for the bullpens Mm-mm. on either team. I'm not going to say Detroit was any better than Boston when it came to their bullpens. They just had more timely hits in this ballgame. The Tigers win one of the most thrilling games I've seen in a long time. 13-12 to in 11 innings is your final score. Alex Avila getting the walk-off two-run knock to, to win the game there in the bottom of the 11th inning. 17 hits for Detroit, 18 hits for Boston, 35 total hits, 25 combined runs, <laughs> and almost a five-hour marathon-type game. You were at this game, Megan. Yep. Explain the atmosphere and explain what you saw there from, um, you said you were sitting on the first base sideline. Yeah, I was on the first baseline. Um, Jeez, it was just, there weren't as many people there. I think it's just because people were with their families. Yes. So it wasn't sold out. And yeah, there were about 30,000 people there. That's what people were asking me when I told them I went today. And they're like, were there a lot of people there? Because it didn't look like it was sold out. It wasn't. Um, I understand it. But my I, I was talking to someone today. They said they probably you, they said you probably went to the game of the year. I know it's game three, but you probably it, did. It's, it's possible. Yeah. It was great, though. I mean, the atmosphere was crazy, um, especially down low. It was just packed down low. Um it was just it was a fun game. I think it was a fun game because it wasn't like 10-0 shutout that kind of thing. It was it was an interesting high-scoring game. Home runs, you know, all that kind of stuff, whatever, and it was I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Um it I don't think it great. shouldn't it shouldn't have been as close as I think it was. Like you said, um 
bullpen struggled a little bit. The bullpen struggled a lot. Um, a little bit. Yeah. And uh, other than that, I mean, like you said, um, Bosch didn't do very well. On Bosch Saturday. finally, yeah, on Saturday he had no hits. He was 0 for 5. He, he finally got his two hits here. His batting average was zero at that game. Yeah, he's batting 133 now. Yes, he, he has gone above 100. He was at .083 after his first hit. I'm like, ugh. Anyway, um... Yeah, I mean, their offense just kind of picked up. It was nice. And my favorite part of that whole game is just Cabrera's first pitch home run. The three-run shot was incredible. I'm watching that game, and I could you almost had a sense it would happen. Yeah. Or it would be that close to a home run, just a little foul or something. Mm-hmm. He absolutely blasted that first pitch. It was just— Destroyed I, it. I was sitting there, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. And my friend goes, what do you mean? You haven't seen anything like this. I go— who just takes the first pitch and hits a home run off of it? Well, I mean, you figure <laughs> a lot of ways you're down three runs, you're going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and you're thinking, okay, they're going to really have to rally. Mm-hmm. Really rally. Mm-hmm. You're not expecting just two guys to get on base and Cabrera to jack one easily into left field. Cabrera, the best hitter in baseball, in my opinion, hands down. Better than Pujols. He is the best hitter in baseball because it doesn't have to be the long ball for him. We saw him in that game as well. Later in the game, hit a very nice single out there into right field. Got, you know, waited for that pitch, got a little jammed up, but did exactly what he wanted to do with it. Prince Fielder, not looking for the home run ball either. The whole They left the whole left side of that field open there in the bottom of the 11th, and then he hits it right down there past third base. No one to get it for, no, not a chance. Cabrera, very smart base running to get the third base on that wild pitch. I thought that was very smart of Cabrera. The, the sack fly, and then Alex Avila. Never hit a walk-off in his career. Coming up there and basically golfing that ball off the ground, it practically seemed like. Almost thought Cody Ross was going <laughs> to grab that ball and steal it from us, but it hits the top of the fence part. It's a home run. Let's wave our fingers around. And it's over. And the Tigers win. Honestly, a game, I've not seen a game like that in my entire life that was just that that much of a back and forth offensive put out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to give the I have to give the Boston Red Sox a lot of credit as well. They battled this entire game. They got down very early in this ball game, four to nothing. They fought back and clawed the whole way. But there's something to be said for Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder in the three and four spot. That is something that teams are going to have nightmares over. I think this entire season. I I don't think the TV gives Prince Fielder justice because every single ball he hits that is a long ball. It's a long ball. Like, really, it's not even that far from being a home run half the time. And it's just, we're watching him because he was hitting into right field a lot. And it was just, hit me except for the one in left. But yeah. he, was, he was hitting it to right and just, it looks like no effort. Throws it up there. It's just a long ball. Well, I mean, in Almost that, all the way. In the at-bat in the bottom of the 11th, the guy hits a foul ball to right field. Breaks his bat and it goes 400 feet. I know. That doesn't happen to other guys. <laughs> we were like, oh my gosh, oh. Like, and yeah, then yeah we you hear the crowd like, oh. just, uh oh. And they were like, oh my gosh, he broke his bat. And it was like, oh, like if it would have been a little further left, it would have been gone. Oh, yeah. It would have been gone. Easily. Mm-hmm. Easily would have been gone. Uh, that 3-4 matchup is absolutely demonstrative at this point. I think it's living up to everything we thought it would be. Uh, through three games this season, Cabrera and Prince Fielder are combined 10 for 23 batting with five home runs and 11 RBIs. Hmm. That's in three games, guys. Three games. They are <laughs> batting almost 500, five home runs, 11 RBIs. Not to mention Alex Avila really picking up from where he left off last season. And what I think the best thing of all this, Austin Jackson. Mm, oh, yeah. Austin Jackson is doing exactly what we need him to do at the leadoff spot. He get has, on? <laughs> yeah, get on. But not only get on, but just be smart. The guy's drawing walks. He's got it. He's has a much better eye. It seems like I know this is three games, and we can't get too high or too low, in my opinion, on any of that. Mm-hmm. But he had four sits. He went four of six in yesterday's game. Three runs, had a double. Um, Jackson's four hits Sunday and three hits on opening day make him the first Tiger player to post multiple games with three or more hits uh, hits to open the season since 2007. This is from an article off DetroitNews.com. The last guy to do that was Placido Polanco back in 2007 as well. Why did we ever get rid of him? Because we had we had we couldn't do anything. His contract <laughs> was up, and he felt like I'm going to go back to Philly. We're sitting here going at the game. Why did we get rid of Polanco? We're struggling with our second basemen's right now. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, to a degree, Ryan Rayburn. Ugh. Ryan Rayburn's defense. Gives me problems. Like, every time I kind of watch him play. Why'd they put him in left field? 
I don't know. He screwed up twice. He he should have had that out at home play if he doesn't bobble that ball out there in left field. Plus, why didn't he dive for the catch? He just kind of like well, jogged. I, okay. Here's huh? the thing. I understand keeping the ball in front of you because if you dive and you miss it, it's going behind you, and that could that's going to score more runs. But he just. You screwed up on the bounce right into his gut. He misplayed. It seemed like a very routine play. Uh, You know, I understand guys are going to make their mistakes. I'm not. I know a lot of people in the crowd started chanting Santiago when that ball looked like it was going foul and the wind blew it back in fair. And you had Fielder and Rayburn over there, and they missed it, and you know ended up being a base hit. You got someone in the crowds. I hear people started yelling Santiago when he missed that play. That I can't blame the guy. Except why are you overrunning the baseball? Don't overrun it. Underrun mm-hmm. it, if anything. You know, the wind's blowing it back in, you know, back into, you know, uh, fair play. Right. So, again, Ryan Rayburn, we just can't have the Ryan Rayburn that we've had the last three seasons of batting when he feels like in the final 50 games mm-hmm. of the season and playing very mediocre defense at best. Mm-hmm. So, we will see what happens from then on. But in more important news, Doug Fister is on the 15-day disabled list. He's out after straining the coastal chondral muscle in his left side. Uh Basically, this is an injury that worries me more than a lot of other injuries, only because I, I know it's just a strain, but it's it's in your rib. It's in a twisting motion when you're pitching. You're going to be making that motion every pitch, basically. Mm-hmm. He's going to be on that 15-day disabled list. Here's what Jim Leland has to say regarding whether if he knows who is going to take his spot. Leland says, quote, I have no clue who is going to start. None. We will have a starter at the appropriate time. End quote. So Leland does not know. He has no clue at this point who is going to be replacing Doug Fister in that number two spot or just in general. Smiley, who was down in Toledo, a little tune-up game down there for the Mud Hens. He only pitched one and a third innings and allowed three hits and three earned one runs. Walked two, struck out one guy here this past weekend. Smiley, who's going to be starting the third game of the Tampa Bay Series here. Who do you think? I mean, Belos looked good. I think Belo out of the bullpens looked great. Uh, he's you know even in long relief he's looked really well. You could bring up Andy Oliver. Jacob Turner's got ten to ninety, so he's not really available. They're talking about even some guy. They have a left-handed uh, prospect named Casey Crosby, who they were even thinking they might bring up there. How much of this Doug Fister injury were you? I mean, obviously we have to have a five-man rotation. Yes, like, without a doubt. If if it worries me in the fact that. There's a guy that they're going to throw in there and be like, okay, time for you to start. And he's going to be like, um, okay, like a little freaked out. Obviously, starting's not exactly so neither is relieving. Like, none of the positions are easy. But when you're like, like you were saying, um, Bilo's looked solid, but he's a reliever. He's a reliever, and he they didn't even want to use him yesterday. Leland wanted no part of having, having to use him because he went a decent amount in game on Saturday, but he had no choice with the bullpen being eaten up. From just guy after guy, he had to use. So Bilo's going to get some extended rest, right? Like it's just he's he's a reliever. He's not a starter, and that's that's what we got into the, with the whole Phil Coke thing. He's not a starter either. Obviously, I still don't like him no matter what. But he's a better reliever than he is a starter, without a doubt. And that's the thing is these guys have their their niches. Like they have certain places that they're better at. And I just think if you take a reliever and you put him as a starter, I think he's going to struggle. Probably. I think Andy Oliver is one of your best guys to probably bring up and use. I think Fister most likely will miss one start. Could miss two starts. Yeah, he'll probably miss two starts, in all honesty, on the 15-day DL. Mm-hmm. We're just going to make sure that he's not sore anymore and then to go from there. Right. So once the soreness goes away, then they can really start focusing on making sure that he's perfectly fine. Um, you know, like they said right here, he Kevin Rand, who's the team's trainer, says he's too valuable a guy to take a chance on his arm. He's just too valuable to this team. So even if, yeah, you know, it's not going to be good to be without him, Right. You're not going to put him out there before he's ready to go. Oh, yeah. You're not going to want to screw that up. And that was the thing. Looking at this entire series, when it comes down to it, the offense is everything it lived up, is everything we thought it would live up to be. I think after this weekend, we saw the offense is just a monster. Mm-hmm. That they can come from behind really at almost any deficit, unless you're talking 8 nothing. This team is dangerous to come back and beat you. The whole lineup is very dangerous. Pitching-wise, obviously we know Verlander's great. Doug Fister's now injured. And Scherzer looked horrible. Scherzer looked terrible out there. Absolutely terrible. To only go two and two-thirds, to give up seven earned runs, 80 mm-hmm. pitches to get through two and two-thirds, that's not going to cut it. No. That's not going to cut it. Scherzer needs to get better. Porcello is going to be starting the first game here against Tampa Bay tomorrow night. So we'll see how Rick looks out there. I have I have, I have good faith for Rick. I think Rick's going to – I think he's going to pitch well here Tuesday night. 
Uh, I know a lot of people, friends of mine, even want a dog, Rick Porcello. The kid's, the kid's only like 24, and he's won three consecutive 10-plus win seasons. How much can we get on this guy? I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm just saying. People, just watch yourself with Rick Porcello, okay? He's a young guy. He's he had 10-plus wins. What do you expect from him, okay? We need him to have a good season again this year, and I think he will. The one thing is, how good is Smiley going to be? We don't know. And how long is Doug Fister going to be injured for? And what are the Tigers going to do there? Because it's not their bats. You're not worried about their bats being bad. How is the, how is Leland going to shore up the starting pitching and even the bullpen on Sunday? Because that's the one thing. When you see a game, it goes, yeah, bottom of the 11. It wasn't some 16-in game like Toronto and Cleveland here on opening day. But at the same time, they went through a lot of their bullpen in two straight games with Fister going out early on Saturday and then Scherzer not being able to do anything on Sunday. So the bullpen is going to be a little taxed here going forward. So hopefully Leland can make those adjustments. Uh, looking real fast at just some fun stats, Austin Jackson's batting 571 uh, so far this season, has a 1482 OPS, and Miguel Cabrera's OPS is off the charts at 1806. Again, OPS is on base percentage combined with your slugging percentage. These guys are absolute monsters. Miguel Cabrera batting 455. Danny Worth leads the team, but I can't count him because he only has one at bat. He's batting a thousand. That doesn't count. Good for him. Yeah, great. Hey, Danny Worth, he's a good pinch hitter. He really is. Yeah. I like to have Danny Worth come in there. Uh, not bad at all when he's out there doing his stuff. Miguel Cabrera has three home runs already on the season. Eight RBIs. The man's on pace for 162 home runs and 400 and I believe uh, 52 or 62 RBIs. He's obviously not going to get there, but it's just fun to say. 162 home runs for Miguel Cabrera. Is it doable, Megan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's more than doable. That guy has more power, and he's lost a ton of weight than any than anyone I've ever seen. Ortiz he, lost a lot of weight, too. Yeah, Ortiz did, and let's really fast, not put to rest Cabrera being such a liability at third, but can we all say that Cabrera has definitely been more impressive than we thought he would be at third base? He had a nice diving stop on Saturday at third. He's gotten to the balls he can. The one thing I was never worried about Cabrera and making a lot of errors, it's more or less his range at third base. That's what I said. I didn't yeah, know if he was going to be quick. If exactly. he was going to be quick enough. Is he going to be able to get to as many balls as he needs to? And really, is he going to do well when, especially we get into the heavy part of interleague play, right. is he going to be able to charge those bunts down the third baseline? <coughs> those are the things you worry about with Cabrera. Not necessarily, he's got a great arm. The guy, it's not that he has a bad arm. It's not that he can't field ground balls. Mm-hmm. It's a fact of, again, like me and Megan, the range. That's really what we're going to see later on this season with Miguel. Mm-hmm. But going forward for the Detroit Tigers, going to stay at Comerica Park for a three-game series versus the undefeated Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays swept the New York Yankees this past weekend. Rays 3-0. Uh, the series kicks off tomorrow at Comerica Park, 1.05 p.m. Porcello will take on uh, Matt Moore, someone that Tampa Bay has a lot of high hopes for out there as well. Game two on Wednesday will be Verlander facing off against Shields. Should be a very good matchup there. And then we'll get to see our first look at Drew Smiley on Thursday against Tampa Bay as well. Smiley will face off against Neiman. And Detroit's not sure right now who's going to pitch Friday against uh, the uh, Chicago White Sox. That's when they're going to hit the road for a three-game series this weekend against the Chicago White Sox. And then Monday through Wednesday next week, they'll stay on the road to play the Kansas City Royals, a team that beat out the Los Angeles Angels uh, 2-1 to this weekend, uh, opening season with Albert Pujols. All three games this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, will be at 1.05 p.m. So if you're working, sorry. Watch it online. Watch it online. Watch the replay later at night. You know they're always going to air it. And try to tell everyone you know not to tell you what happened in the game. Because that's what I'm going to try and do. So I can come home and watch that replay. But again, uh, looking at the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, is the first time since 1966 that both clubs have started off 0-3. But let's not freak out regarding the New York Yankees in that the Yankees did start 0-3 in 1998 and then went on to win 114 games, an AL record, and the World Series. It happens. I mean, base, so, baseball's back and forth. Baseball is a long, long season, but you do. I think Boston is a team that I think you do have to worry about with the complete collapse of going seven and twenty last September, and then now getting swept here in two walk-off games. They're losing one of their great bullpen guys in Oliver very early. Uh, you know, right before the season starts, actually, Boston, a team, could be in for some major woes this season, especially with who would have thought the Baltimore Orioles. And the Tampa Bay Rays are both leading the American League East 
don't think you would have been saying that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Both teams sweeping their series, Baltimore sweeping the Minnesota Twins. As well, the New York Mets, another team a lot of people did not see starting 3-0, and sweeping the Atlanta Braves, another team I think having a hangover from their complete collapse last season. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, 3-0 and as well, sweeping the San Francisco Giants here this past weekend. We are going to take a quick break here on the Spartan Sports Wrap. When we come back, we're going to get into the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings are going to be playing the Nashville Predators here Wednesday night at Nashville. Will the Wings get out of the first round? You are listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. You're listening to Impact Exposure. We've just received word of an invasion. Speak quickly, maggot. Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir. We've just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded. You stupid ninny. That's the Asian invasion. It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tapping his music out of the Korea, Japan, and China. But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects. Shut up and listen to the music, private. That catchy beat knows no language barrier. Now move out, everyone. Sir, yes, sir. The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on <laughs> The Impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. And welcome back here to the Spartan Sports Wrap on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. These commercials only feel like commercials. They're like four seconds long. I feel like we don't even take a break. But, but uh, yeah, we're going to get into the Detroit Red Wings. We had been talking about the Detroit Tigers and their nice sweep of the Boston Red Sox this past weekend to kick off the baseball season. So if you guys have any thoughts or comments on that, definitely still call in. But we're going to get into the Detroit Red Wings and the first round series to take place here on Wednesday night. Phone number is 517-432-3893. Will the Red Wings win the first round this year in the playoffs? They're a five seed. They're going to start on the road and have to go play there at Bridgestone Ice Arena, a place where the Nashville Predators have played very well this season. The Predators are no slouch at home. And if you look at the Predators' record at home, they are sixth in the league at 26-10-5 record at Bridgestone Arena, and not to mention they're 22-5-2 in their last 28 games, a very dominant team at home as we speak. The Red Wings, who had the best overall record at home this season, 31-7-3, but did not play well on the road, especially towards the end of the season. They are 2-6-2 in their last 10 road games. Again, will the Detroit Red Wings move on past this first round? They won 23 consecutive home games this season. A great record, a lot to speak very proudly about. It's a record that, quite frankly, might never get broken again, or if not, it might take another 25 or 30 years from this old record to get broken. But the Wings have struggled on the road this entire season. The, the Red Wings on the road this season are 17, 21, and 3. Nothing great, to, nothing great to go home about. Nothing great to brag about. The Detroit Red Wings have been going out to the West Coast to play teams like Phoenix the last two years. The last two, the last two playoffs, they've had to go out to the West Coast, face Phoenix, and then they face the San Jose Sharks in two consecutive seasons in the same first and second round matchup. And this was something that we were talking about pre- uh, previously. Is it important for the Wings to stay in their own time zone or close enough to their own time zone rather than going out to the West Coast? Because even though the uh, even though the Predators are a more difficult team, I think they're a better team than Phoenix. Is it better for us probably to stay at home? Well, Henrik Zetterberg has something to say about that. He says, quote, Every team going into the playoffs is tough, but I think the shorter travel is huge for us. If you want to go all the way, it's tough to go to the West Coast all the time. If you look in years past for the Detroit Red Wings, the last 11 seasons... The Red Wings have been eliminated by the San Jose Sharks, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, the Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, and the Los Angeles Kings. And for any of you people that aren't sports fans, those are all teams on the West Coast. Okay, so with Detroit, they split the season series 3-3 here with Nashville. The most recent game coming with a 4-1 loss at Joe Louis Arena on Saturday, March 30th. I know you're the hugest hockey fan around, Megan. Gigantic. Big she just You don't miss a game. Nope. I know you don't. Looking at Detroit, a team that everyone expects to make it out of the first round, expects to make a deep run in the playoffs on many years, is this the year the Wings get bounced out early, or do they 
find a way to flip a switch, turn it on, and get out of this tough first-round matchup? It's going to be difficult. Very difficult. I think. From what I've heard of everything, I've heard injuries, I've heard, um, they're, like you've said, they're, they're not very good on the road. And, you know, even, like, time zones are, people don't think it's a big deal, but it really is. When you're supposed to be sleeping, you're awake playing a hockey game. Or, you know, and that's why versa. I mean, they're lucky to go to Nashville for that factor. Right. Then, you know, that fact. That is a good thing. But with how they've struggled on the road and really with how there hasn't been a con- continuity to this team mm-hmm. the final four to six weeks, mm-hmm. do the Wings just, do you think they can just figure it out? Because think- they're not a bad team. The Western Conference is one of the best conferences in hockey. Some of the best teams. Yeah. Can they get past this? Can they? Because all those injuries we talked about, Megan, yeah. most of those guys are healthy rather than Danny Cleary and Darren Helm. Okay. Lindstrom's been back for 10 ga- 11 games. Datsuk's been back uh, for 11 games. Howard started the final five games here after being out with his groin injury. Do they figure it out? I don't know. I don't know if they can just flip a switch and figure it out like uh-huh. that. Um, how many games are in a series with Yeah, hockey? I mean, it's a best of seven best first of, okay, round. So, yeah, seven. it's going to be a best of seven. First two games will be in Nashville, second two games in Detroit, and then you go 1-1-1. One, one, one. Well, they're fortunate they're going back to Detroit for game three. Yep, that'll be Sunday at the Joe. Um, that might help them. Um, but I don't know if they're going to flip a switch, like like I said, like that, you know, within the first two games, just just listening to how they've struggled on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they can. I'd like to see them make a deep run. If they do it, I'll probably watch a little hockey. Watch a little hockey? I'll so, watch a little hockey. So wait, they have to get out of the first round for you to watch? Uh yeah. You might not see any hockey then. I might not see, you any, might not hockey see any hockey then. You might not see any hockey. But, I don't know, like I said, it's it's tough for me to, I, I know you guys all probably hate me out there because I'm trying to give my opinion I know absolutely <laughs> zero about this, but uh, it's tough for me to say, you know, how they're going to do when I have, I maybe have watched a period or two of a couple of games, you know. Yeah, I'll be like watching it in like Buffalo Wild Wings in the bar, I'll look up and watch a little, a little bit of it. It's just there. It's just there, yeah, it's just something to watch, but... I'm sorry, guys. Um, no, don't apologize. So, win or loss for the Red Wings? Game one, I think they might lose. Okay, so you think game one, go, they go yeah, down? Yeah, yeah, That's just, I, I I don't even really have much to back up with it other than oh, they have fine. struggled on the road. And that's the thing. Trust me, because that's a lot of people that will make predictions on hockey and don't have a clue mm-hmm. about hockey. So, but we're going to go to the phone lines and see if we can get another opinion on the Red Wings here. Hey, how's it going? You're on the Spartan Sports Wrap. Yeah, hi. How you doing? Hey, what's going on? Is this John? Yeah, happy Easter, you guys. Thank you. Happy Easter Thank to you. you, too. All right. Uh, I'm just calling in, and uh, I want to voice my opinion. And uh, for the first time in a long time, I actually feel as though the Red Wings are just not going to make it. But uh, maybe that's a good thing, because every time I think they're going to make it, they don't make it. <laughs> you know, past the, you know, the second round. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, I really don't think they're going to do it, but uh, then again. Uh, well, let me ask you this real fast, John. What's your big determining factor for why the Wings don't make it out of the first round? I mean, because a lot of people could say, I think they will, I think they won't, but what's your reason as to why you think they won't? I, I really don't think that they have their heart in it. I, I just, I mean, uh, when you're hungry for something, you're, you're hungry. I think Nashville, it, yeah, Nashville. I mean, this is hockey, and I'm saying Nashville. Well, <laughs> that's right. I grew up with the original six, and there was no Nashville. Uh, but. I just think that when you're really hungry for something, you you play harder. I, the Red Wings have been there year after year after year. Maybe it's just becoming the norm. I don't know. I just don't see that they're they're hungry enough to want to. They got the talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, anything can happen in hockey. Oh yeah. You know, and I just I just don't see them doing it. But then again, I mean, this is the first time in a long time where I'm saying I don't think they're going to do it. So, like you said, you've always thought different. Maybe it kind of works out in your benefit with this thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right, John, so I'm going to put you to a pick. Give me the Wings or the Predators and how many games? Well, you're talking to an old man who's a diehard Wing fan, so obviously I have to take the Red Wings. And even though my gut is telling me different, uh, but I'm going to go with the Red Wings in six. Red Wings in six, okay. All right, John, well, listen, we're going to talk more next Monday, okay, because they will have played three games by then. I think we'll have a much better idea of where both of these teams stand uh, with next uh, Monday's show. But I want to thank you for the call, and, uh, yeah, hopefully the Wings do win here in six games. All right. All right, thank you. All right. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. And that's the thing, because I've talked with a lot of people. 
a lot of Red Wings fans, especially from I'm back from I'm from Sterling Heights and around Metro Detroit, you have a lot more Wings fans than you have in the Lansing area, Grand Rapids area in the state. Um, very easily. My problem with people getting upset when you pick against the home team, I get frustrated with that because I've talked to people because I personally believe the Detroit Red Wings are going to lose in seven games here to the Nashville Predators. I think it's going to be that gritty of a uh, series. I think it's going to be that hard fought of a series. And really, even though home ice means the least in the NHL compared to basketball or even football, I still think it matters. Nashville, as John had already you know pointed out, they are a very hungry team. They had won their first playoff series ever last season against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks and played a very hard-fought series against the uh, Vancouver Canucks taking the Canucks to six games last year. The Canucks obviously going on to play the Bruins in the Stanley Cup Finals, losing to the Bruins. Nashville is a hungry team. And again, what upsets me about people that can't accept you picking against the home team and thinking you're a bad fan. Too many people, maybe I'm generalizing, but a lot of people I speak with, even when it was regard to the Lions playing the Saints, it's like if you pick against them, you're not a true fan. And I think that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think that a true fan has nothing to do with picking your team or not. It has to be living in reality of what you believe. It's not absurd to think the Red Wings are going to win this series because it is that close of a series. But don't start calling me or somebody else out when they think, you know what, Detroit just doesn't have it this year. The Lions, they're just not going to get it done against the Saints. Instead of that blind, that blind faith always propelling someone forward. Any comments on that? <laughs> no, well, yeah, I mean... Do you know do you know people like that where it's like if you pick against one of those teams they think how dare blasphemy how could you my my friends are all pretty rational well no that's that's good yeah that's I, very good I think it's in the fact that the majority of my friends are in sports reporting so okay so the yeah they understand us, yeah most of us are like okay well this person did this and this team can do this so you know what as much as I'd like to pick the Spartans I'd like I'm gonna pick this team or as much as I'd like to pick the Lions I have to, I, I think I did that a couple of times this oh you definitely do and this, I'm not yeah not no you. I know you're not saying me I'm just saying uh, but there is one game I wasn't like oh how can you pick against them I, I just sit there and go you got to have faith yeah anything faith. can happen you know I agree um you got to have faith and I think it's when MSU was playing, I don't remember who they were playing, but they were playing a team. and Probably they were, like Wisconsin or somebody. It might have been. They were playing a team and they were down, and they ended up losing the game. But it was I was sitting there and my boss is telling me, he's like, they're not going to win it. They're not going to do it. This was Illinois. Okay. The, the team that was better on the road or better at home than on the road is the Indiana. They were like super good at home, but like on the road they just fell apart. Yeah, I think it was Illinois. And... I'm sitting here, I'm going, you gotta have faith, they can do it. And he's like, I'm like, Jeremy, have faith. He's like, I'm just being rational. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, they, I really want them to win this game so bad that I'm going to sit here and You're go. You're going to disregard rationality. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to disregard rationality and just be like, they're going to do it. But then other times, you know, I think when we played when we played Wisconsin for the Big Ten Championship, yep. I said, you know, Wisconsin's a better team. They did this, they do that, and... I just don't think we can beat them again. Yeah. And I'm like, I have to pick Wisconsin, you know. That's the nice thing, though, is my friends, you know, we're all kind of in the same business. So we all kind of sit there and we look at everything and then we go, okay, this is what we're going to do. I think a lot of my friends that live around here, that live in the Lansing area that I've known for a while, they're all like that as well. Yeah. It's when I go back home. And that's when I think you get a little bit more of but this. But you're kind of by Detroit, aren't you? And that's exactly it. I'm yeah. Sterling Heights. I'm right there in Metro Detroit. So there's that blind love and faith uh-huh. especially for a team like the Detroit Red Wings when you've made it to the playoffs 21 consecutive years it's almost a given to assume the Detroit Red Wings make it out of the first round no matter what kind of team they have yeah and it's that kind of thing but when really looking at the numbers here and it's not all about numbers necessarily but Nashville has the best power play in the entire league at 21.6% they're 10th best in the league on the penalty kill they've added guys like Hal Gill on the defense Paul Gastaud Andre Kostitsin, Alex Radulov from Russia. They have they just have a deep team right now. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, I'm going to take Nashville's goalie and Pekka Rene over Jimmy Howard. Pekka Rene, who has 43 wins this season, a 2.39 goals against average, and a 9.23 save percentage. Howard was having an all-star year before that groin injury. And if he never had that groin injury, then I would be on Howard's side. He still finished with a great record, 35-17-4. But I think Pekka Rene and just how physical guys like Paul Gastaud and Kostitsin are going to be with us, I think it's a very difficult road for the Red Wings to make it out of this series. I say the Wings lose in seven. 
Obviously, I hope I'm wrong. You always hope you're wrong. Hope I'm I always do. Yeah. A lot well, of my picks go opposite, so I'm happy either way, honestly. <laughs> you know, you should, the way it works is I feel like you pick certain teams sometimes, and then you're just wrong. Oh, yeah. You're wrong a lot. Yeah, I I, I'm wrong when it. I feel like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you just do it just to, you like, oh, I'm going to pick Ohio State instead of, was it Kansas, Ohio State, or whatever? And I was right, though, on that one. Ohio State, no, not, it, wasn't, no. no it was the game before that. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was the game before that. Oh, I thought we picked Kansas, Ohio. No, because you picked against me, who was going to go to the championship game. Oh, no, you're right, I did. Yeah. You're right, I did. Because I got, uh, no, you're right. I picked Kansas, and you're like, no, I pick Ohio State just because well, I want to pick against you. Well, how boring is it if we always just pick the same thing? That's true. You know, I mean, this isn't Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, you know, time, but, you know, we can't always agree. <laughs> we'll just have to argue more. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit more. But looking at the Detroit Red Wings, we're going to move on past that. But the Red Wings kick off, uh, Red Wings kick off their uh, first round series against Nashville Wednesday night, 8 p.m. That game will be on Fox Sports Detroit and CNBC. Then they'll play Friday night at 7.30 p.m. again at Nashville. Game as well on Fox Sports Detroit. And then the first game at Joe Lewis will be Sunday, April 15th at noon on NBC. So you get to look forward to a very early uh, good afternoon Sunday game there at the Joe. Should be a great series, I think, regardless of whether who comes out on top. Detroit, Nashville, I think both teams, especially Nashville playing, they're just they're playing, they look hotter, they're playing better. And I'm always going to take the hotter team going in the playoffs, no matter what sport it is. The Red Wings right now, according to Vegas, have 15-1 uh, to 1 odds to win the Stanley Cup. The best odds favorites right now are the Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh uh, Penguins at 7-2. to 2. The Rangers have 5-1 to 1 odds, and the Canucks as well have 5-1 to 1 odds to come out and win the Stanley Cup. But that's just Vegas odds, so who cares? Doesn't really mean a bunch. Looking uh, at some of the other matchups real fast in the NHL for the playoffs, you're going to have the Vancouver Canucks taking on the Los Angeles Kings for your 1 versus 8 matchup. Then the St. Louis Blues will be facing off against the San Jose Sharks for 2 versus 7. The Phoenix Coyotes will take on the Chicago Blackhawks for the 3 versus 6. And then, of course, Detroit will face Nashville 4 versus 5 in that series. Looking at the Eastern Conference, the Rangers will take on the Senators. And then the Bruins will have the Capitals, the Panthers against the Devils. And one of the best series, hands down, for a first round, Penguins versus Flyers for your first round Eastern Conference 4-5 matchup. Should be a great series to watch. The last thing about Detroit, what scares me to death, they're 5-20 in regulation in their last 25 games. Five wins, 20 losses. They only have five wins in regulation in their last 25 games. That is a staggering statistic, and even though stats you know, can be said they're just stats, that scares me. You don't have shootouts in the playoffs. You need to play. You, need just, you can't get lucky and get a shootout and get a fluke goal. You need to earn it, and the Red Wings have been, a very, have been very beneficial to win a lot of their games in shootouts. They did get two of those wins. They did have two losses in overtime to San Jose and New York. Five of 20 in regulation in their last 25 games. It speaks volumes. Hopefully they can turn the tide and change that up. Darren Helm and, again, Danny Cleary, two guys that we really need going forward here. Helm, who uh, has a sprained knee right now, did practice Monday. He should be ready for Game 2 on Friday against Nashville, even though he hasn't been ruled out yet for Game 1. Danny Cleary, who missed the last two games of the regular season with knee problems, says he practiced it. He practiced Monday. He's in a lot of pain, but he said that he's still going to be playing for sure. He's got, he's got a tear in his knee, swelling, and a fluid buildup, and the bone is rubbing on bone. In the knee. That's he has to have his knee drained every day. How effective will Danny Cleary be, even though he's going to play? We will see. But we're going to move on to Derek Nix. Derek Nix tested positive for marijuana and possessed 0.6 grams of the substance when he was arrested April 3rd after failing several field sobriety tests, according to a police report. This is, again, off an article from DetroitNews.com. And it says Nix was pulled over at 12.20 a.m. on April 3rd after running a red light while turning from Lake Lansing Road northbound onto Abbott Road in a 2011 red Dodge Charger. The report says the officer spelled, smelled the odor of marijuana, Nix had bloodshot eyes, and that he stated he had smoked prior to the stop at around 10 p.m. He then failed several field sobriety tests, including two balance tests and one that required him to count forward and backward. After that, he was uh, released the next day on a $200 bond and... Here's Tom Izzo's statement. He says, quote, the future with the program is uncertain. And Izzo added, he made an irresponsible decision that has put his future with our program in serious jeopardy. Will Derek Nix be a Spartan next season? It's tough. I, when it happened, I, I said no. I, we talked about this the day it happened. You and our 
it came out. You and I talked about this. Yep. I said no, and I still, at this point, I still think no. I think in, just because of the fact that nothing else has come out since, and it's been almost, it's been a week. It's been, well, yeah, it'll be a week it'll tomorrow. It'll be a week tomorrow, well, yeah, yeah. Pretty well, much, he was arrested. Tonight, yeah. Yeah. Tonight, the anniversary's coming up in like six hours. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the only reason I think that is the tolerance Tom Izzo has for that kind of stuff is... Like I said to you, like point zero 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 one percent. It's quite low. It's very low. You know, there's that point zero 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 one chance that he'll give you that shot again. But the thing is, he's supposed to be the senior leader. The only, I think, the only senior. He will on the be team. the only senior if he is if he does come back to the program. Right, and it just it gives him a bad <laughs> reputation. You know, if Tom Izzo throws him in there again and says, "Oh, here's our senior captain right here," what are people going to think? You know, as a college student. Well, here's the thing. This is his, Derek Nick's first offense. Yeah. This is his first offense with the law. It, last season, there were issues with Derek Nix uh, with almost being, he was going to transfer. He wasn't feeling like he was wanting to be a part of this program necessarily. And then he lost a bunch of weight this offseason. Really put together a very, uh, a very nice season, I think, this year. I was very excited to see him take on that captain-type role, be the leader of this ball club. And even drop a little bit more weight and even be that much more nimble on the team. We know Tom Izzo has no tolerance for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Chris Allen, Corey Lucius can attest to that. Mm-hmm. People, you know, they were cut from this program. I still think Derek Nix will be with this team. Not just blindly. I think Derek Nix will be with this team and having to work his butt off and prove to Tom Izzo. Because this happened so, so soon after the end of the regular season. Where college basketball, I mean, we're not kicking that off for a while. I think there's a lot of time for Derek Nix to prove to the program and to the coach and to Mark Hollis that he made a mistake. It wasn't, I think, getting a DUI. So I think that's a bigger mistake, honestly, than even a marijuana possession. I'm not saying that it's okay to do that. I'm just saying, comparing you know both you know apples to apples, I think a DUI is worse. And marijuana possession, as that's not good, and it's very irresponsible to be driving around with it, and not only that, to be high while driving, he's he's 21 years old. It's his first mistake he's made. He's a young kid. I think if you cut him from the team and say, you know what, too bad, zero tolerance policy, are you really preparing this kid and helping this kid for the future? Uh. Or is it tough love? You made a mistake. You had this privilege to play collegiate basketball, to possibly have the chance to be drafted in the NBA the next season if you had a pretty good senior season. Or do you just say, too bad, get out of here? I uh, Even if he leaves, I don't think Tom Izzo is going to say, too bad, get out of here. Well, he's not going to say that, but he'd be like, you made a mistake. You knew what the consequences are. You messed up. Sorry, you got to go. You know, Does I... that benefit him more than maybe him? Working with Nick's and Nick's proving to the you know, proving to the program he's on board and he's going to work that much harder. And if he screws up and he missteps by missing class by missing anything else, then okay, you're gone. No more second chances. I think he deserves another chance. I'm not saying that you know getting rid of him is going to benefit him at all. And I I do think that you I don't know think it benefits him or the program. Well, yeah, and I I do think you know Tom is a working with them saying um, you need. I think I think the way he should go about it is he needs to earn a spot. Again, like put someone else there and make him work for what, you know, even if he is the only senior on the team, you know, make him work to be and make make him show that he can he can be the senior leader and he can do what he needs to do and to to benefit the program. Right now, I just it's kind of up in the air just because Tom is intolerance for that kind of thing. And Derek Nix's performance this past season, I think that's where it kind of gets 50 50 for me. Right now, I'm leaning, I think, more toward they're going to get rid of him. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed. It's like, I, I'm still sticking to, yeah, I, I don't think they'll keep him around, but like you said, if he does all those kind of stuff, all those kind of things, you know, Tom Izzo might reconsider. I think he should. I think he's going to stay with this team. I, th- I think he does get that second chance. I think we could easily see him get cut from this team in October. Or even November for misstepping and doing something else dumb. I mean, it doesn't take... I mean, I'm talking mm-hmm. anything. Again, late for class, great performance not being good. Anything like that, late to practice, they could say, see you later, Nick. We gave you your last chance. Mm-hmm. I think he deserves it. I think he will get it. My question to you, how long until we know this decision? Do you think it goes on for another couple weeks? I mean, he's just suspended indefinitely. So they could drag this out as long as they feel like Oh, yeah. 
I don't think it's going to go on for a long, a long, long time. I think they'll figure it out soon. They'll probably talk with him, talk with each other. I mean, I tried to get out of Mark Hollis today, and he was not budging. Um, I I don't think it's going to, go, going to go on forever. I think the fact that off-season practices did start today. Okay. So I think keeping him out of the program, if they're going to keep him for that long, would just be detrimental it would be doing more wrong than right. Obviously, you want to make the right decision. You want to do the right thing. You want to really think about what you want to yeah, do. Yeah, don't want to rush anything. Right, exactly. But it's been a week-ish, as we've been saying. I think most it'll go on. We'll probably know, I want to say May okay. at latest. Maybe around when we graduate at the latest. About if he's a month gonna, of a whole four weeks yeah, kind of type deal. Yeah, I just, I, that sounds about right. If you, if you drag it on for too long, you're just you're not helping him if you decide to keep him. Yeah, you're not helping anything. No, you're not point. really helping anything. I mean, keeping us in suspense would just be stupid. Like, every, I think I think we'll know probably around graduation times, so like beginning of May. I agree. I, I really do. I, that's the timetable I was thinking in my head as well. It was about four weeks from the date of the arrest to when they pretty much figure out what they're going to do with Derek Nix. And I... They're going to evaluate and take their time, like you said, as they should. I just really hope this kid does come back, because I don't think he's a bad kid at all. We've all made mistakes. I made mistakes at you know younger ages. Obviously, I did not play collegiate sports, which it, it, you can't compare it necessarily. Mm-hmm. But still, they, he made a mistake. It wasn't an egregious mistake. Yeah. So hopefully, he can convince Tom Izzo, convince Mark Hollis, convince these guys that I will be the best person you can imagine for the next you know for the next fifty two weeks. You better, won't even believe it. Better show it. I'm going to be awesome. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, another uh, uh, Michigan State uh, guy, ex-Michigan State guy, this article from Detroit News. Former Detroit Lions and Michigan State wide receiver Charles Rogers has been arraigned on five misdemeanors from two unrelated incidents. He's finally taken himself into court. The 30-year-old <laughs> Rogers appeared Thursday before Saginaw County District Judge A.T. Frank and pleaded not guilty to the charges. Frank released Rogers on a 7,500 personal uh, recognizance bond. He's charged with making a malicious phone call and conspiring to commit that crime March 5th and 6th in Saginaw County's Bridgeport Township. Rogers also was charged with marijuana possession, possessing an opening container of alcohol in a motor vehicle, and operating a motor vehicle on a suspended or revoked license December 2nd in Saginaw. Um, outside the courtroom, Rogers had no comment on the charges, and if all of us can't think back nine years. Rodgers was the number two overall pick in the NFL draft, and he was obviously a great player for Michigan State while he was here. Rodgers, only 30 years old, really needs to clean up his act. A lot of athletes do. A lot of athletes <laughs> do, without a doubt. Uh, the Detroit Pistons uh, this last week had a nice win Tuesday at home at the Palace against the Orlando Magic, winning 102-95. Dwight Howard not in the game. Big Baby Davis putting up 31 for the Magic. Just not enough when all is said and done. Then the Pistons played their next game at the Palace against the Washington Wizards, getting a victory 99-94. to And then the Pistons' road woes continue, losing a hard-fought game to the Atlanta Hawks Friday night, 101-96, to and then getting absolutely beat down by uh, LeBron James and Chris Bosh at at Miami. 98-75 to was your final score. The Pistons went over eight minutes at one point in the third quarter without a field goal. So, I know you're on the road playing the Heat, but come on, 75 points. That's just not good. Without Dwayne Wade, too, wasn't it? Yeah, without Dwayne Wade. But somehow, Miami Heat are 10-1 and without Dwayne Wade this season. Maybe it doesn't make that big of a difference. He does. They're just a good team. They, good. they can they just get the production from their guys when other guys aren't available. But the Pistons just tipped off here about an hour ago. They're playing at Orlando, 7 o'clock game. Dwight Howard out again, so maybe the Pistons take advantage and get a win here on the road as they did last Tuesday. The Pistons will then travel to the Bobcats on Thursday night at 7 p.m. They'll play the Milwaukee Bucks at the Palace, finally back at home on Friday night, and then Sunday will play the Chicago Bulls at the Palace at 6 o'clock. Only 10 games left in the regular season for the Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons 21-35 and right now on the regular season, and we'll start talking next week about the all-time argument that we have every year to tank or not to tank to get that lottery pick. It's an ongoing question always in the NBA with teams at the lower echelon of these of these conferences. We'll talk about that next week. Even start thinking about that now. Should the Pistons tank or is it more important for them to play good basketball the rest of the way? And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time for this, but Mr. Bubba Watson is the 2012 Masters champ. Don the Green Jacket here. Uh, Bubba Watson with his pink driver and all, hitting an amazing shot in the second hole of the sudden death playoff on hole number 10, hitting 155 
yard hook shot to somehow put it on the green and a two putt for the win over Luis Ustazen. What a shot. Yeah, I saw it Incredible. a couple of times. Incredible shot. If you haven't seen this shot yet, trust me, check it out. You will not be disappointed. Not to mention Ustazen getting only the fourth ever double eagle um, at the Masters at Augusta. An amazing double eagle shot. You don't see double eagles often. Great shot there. And congratulations to Bubba Watson from what it seems like a very good guy. And something more incredible, 11 of the last 12 major winners in golf have been first-time winners. So, Tiger Woods ended with a plus five here at the Masters. I told you. Not that good. Told you he's a roller coaster. I just love Tiger Woods. I root for him every second. So, I will convince myself that Tiger will win somehow, even though he hasn't. Everyone just says they watch SportsCenter to see how Tiger's doing. I watch golf to see how Tiger's doing. Right. All the time. But this was a great Masters. It was a great Masters. I didn't watch a ton of it because the uh, 10-hour Tigers game was on yesterday. <laughs> but it was a very nice sudden-death playoff I did see. We are out of time here at the Spartan Sports Wrap. Next week, we're going to have a lot to talk about with the Red Wings playoff series. Tigers have finished up uh, two more series, so we'll definitely talk about that. A lot to get to. But I want to thank everyone out there for tuning in to tonight's show. Again, hopefully everyone out there had a fantastic Easter. Be safe. For everyone here at 88.9 FM, my name is Dave Ferencu. And I'm Megan. You guys have a good night out there. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89 FM.